appreciate you ladies for that beautiful song. And uh, aren't you glad that we have in our Savior the Good Shepherd? And, uh, you know, I just think about that. I think about how practically in our lives, day to day, He leads and guides. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, well, our reading this evening was from 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you please like to turn there once again, we're going to cover here verses 11 and see how far we go. Glad that you're here tonight. Thank you for being faithful. And we're nearly done, actually, with, with this book of 1 Timothy, as we've been discussing and really studying through this letter to Paul's son in the faith. What we've found is the, the key theme and the subject matter was how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. And so we've looked at authentic church, how it is that we're supposed to, and we're right down now to chapter 6, which really speaks about who we are outside of the church, how we are to be perceived, our testimony. And so we've looked at a couple of things. Last time we looked at how it is that we, we as, uh, as, as believers should deal with money, our attitude to that, the riches of this world. And we spoke a little bit about Paul's instruction here about godliness and contentment and really the danger of having a love for money, how it's the root of all evil. And I think you would agree that as believers, we ought to have a different attitude, shouldn't we, in regard to how we view and how we have affection towards riches, money. And so the Bible's very clear about that and he we went through that last time. But notice with me the subject matter then turns to the leader himself. But thou, O man of God. And boy, as, as we head into the, the last final few verses of this great letter, Paul then goes to his son of the faith, son in the faith, Timothy, and he says, Thou, O man of God. And he's about to speak to Timothy and 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 gives him this, this, really this compliment. He's calling him a man of God. And, and if you look through the Scriptures, there's not too many uh, through the Scriptures that are given that. There's a few there that we could really study through, but this is really the last time in the Word of God someone is called this. But thou, O man of God. You know, one of the major ways those outside of the church judges the church is how her leaders are perceived. The testimony of her leaders. Uh, today, especially those that lead are often viewed as the best representation of a group of people, of a congregation. And rightly or wrongly, really this is human nature, isn't it? It's just part of the, 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 the nature of things. And we all understand that those who lead aren't always the representative of the whole, and yet often they become the standard of which a whole group is judged. And, and that's why there's a great focus, isn't there, at times of the negativity in the press and in media of uh, those who are so-called church leaders who have done wrong. And that's why there's great coverage, there's a, there's a spiritual aspect to that, that really just wants to diminish the church of God. And so you would, you would then, it would make sense, wouldn't it, that then Paul turns his attention 
to Timothy, who he had called to lead this group of people. And so tonight, well, we want to speak about the testimony of leaders. And again, there's a, great, there's a great application we can make here as far as the church, but really for us as men. And we already had our, our men's session this morning, but really this, this lends itself to us as men again, because it would be a great thing that every man here in their household was a man of God for their household. That would be a great thing. In fact, that would be so great, I believe it'll change a community. It'll change a church for sure. But I'm sure it'll change a nation. If men just had this attitude and this desire to be men of God, not just a, a man's man, not just the kind of man that other men would admire, but a man of God. And so he addresses Timothy here, but thou, O man of God. And again, you know, we understand that those who lead, they're not perfect, but they're often the, the standard of which those on the, from the outside judge the whole group. And so you think about in the, uh, in, in the World War where we see that, you know, Hitler and the Germans, and it's, it's just a heinous thing, isn't it, to think about that. But you, you understand that all over the world, those other Germans who were living in, outside of, uh, of Germany were often judged by the way Hitler treated the Jews. Some of them were rounded up and accused of, of doing the same things as those nationalists had, had done. So, so unfairly they were judged that way. But, but really, there, there's a great onus and there's a great, uh, there's a great value God places in those who lead. Because really, they, they, they send out a message they set a tone, they set a pattern. And I want to say to you, especially you men, that all of us here, we have a, we have a leader to follow. And it's, it's not really me. It's our Lord Jesus Christ is our leader. He's the captain of our salvation. And so Jesus is our leader, and we as Christians, little Christs, if we would live up to the character of the captain of our salvation then really we would do well. If we would just desire to be that man of God in our home, that man of God in the, our area of service, that man of God who can be looked upon and, and be uh, somewhat like Timothy, be given that. So here Paul is challenging his son in the faith, the, the leader of this group, Timothy, to, to be the man of God that he sees him to be. To lead those whom they have, who he has in a manner that really is befitting the title. And so we're going to see a couple of things here. Firstly, in verse 11, but thou, O man of God. That title itself reveals, firstly, a form and a function. So as, as leaders, there's a form and a function that we are to have. And this was an immense title to give. Again, when we read that, sometimes we, there's an overusage of it. But, but really, God is not into exaggeration without purpose. And so He gives this exaggeration. Uh, he gives this title not as an exaggeration, but an accurate depiction of who Timothy was. So again, not that this just came from Paul's mouth. This was given through God by inspiration. So about Timothy, he was a man of God. And what we find about that in this challenge was there was a form and a, and a function that he was to play and. Again, this was an immense title to give. This was a charge to keep that which was only given to few others before him. 
Some of the greatest names in the Bible were given this title, and here it was, Timothy, in the first century church, was given this title as well. And what we saw about this was Paul knew Timothy enough to give him this significance. And again, man of God puts Timothy in the same league as Moses, Elijah, and some unnamed others that, that were given this descriptor through Scripture. So indeed, Timothy was the last to receive this title in, in, in the Word of God. So what form then Timothy must keep, and very much the charge to follow was to, to keep him uh, in, this, uh, in this vein. And so we see the form that, that Timothy was to keep. The form was this, he was to be a man of God. You know how it is sometimes if you uh, give someone an, an accolade, it just gives you an extra, extra measure of motivation to keep to that title. I don't know about you, but if, if you men for the first time when your, your child called you dad, they recognized that you were to be their primary caregiver. I don't know about you, but that motivated me to raise my game, to understand that, you know, I wasn't just responsible for my life. I was responsible to live up to that name, to live up to that title, to live up to that, uh, that, that cherished title that was given me. And, and that's the form of which Timothy was to keep. It was to keep the form of a man of God. And he knew Scripture enough that he would have immediately thought about those that were given that title previously. But then this is not only just a form, but also a function that Timothy was to practice. Because you see, it's, it's all well and good to get a title, but the title has to come with the practice. The function of that. See, this wasn't only a charge of form, but of function. This was to be a, an outworking in Timothy's life. There was supposed to be some observable things of which we'll see in a bit. You see, sometimes we dole out titles to people just as a form of decoration. But practically, the designation does nothing to aid the man. You know, you sometimes look at the, the world around us, how people earn, uh, earn certain titles and then you see the person's character and it doesn't seem to fit the function of that person. There's a great form to live up to, but the function isn't there. And, and so before we are quick to label maybe ourselves or others a certain title, we, we better look at their function. J. John Phillips said this in his commentary, the title was intended to vest Timothy with dignity, to add to his authority and to contrast him with those who were consumed by the love of money. And again, earlier on, there was already a warning in the characteristics that a man of God is to follow. That, that he is not to be that way, he is to be different. And so the function of this title is to separate a man further as a vessel and an example to follow. And really the simple question is, tonight men, can that be said of us? You know, I really, I really was convicted I really was challenged about the fact that Paul could call Timothy man of God. He, he designated that to him. And I began to think, you know, in, in, in the observation of my life, I wonder if I could be called that. In my home, in, in, in the church, in my associations, in my practice and philosophy, am I set apart as a man of God? And I wonder 
if you would ask yourself that question, are you God's man for the work? Are you God's man for your city? Are you God's man for your family? Are you God's man for this generation? Are you God's man for the task at hand? That's the question you need to ask yourself. And so we see the form and function. He's, he called them thou, O man of God. But then notice he gives instruction then. He says you're going to be this, Timothy, here if you flee and follow. And notice what he says there. Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. So notice those two things he says. Uh, Timothy, you man of God, flee these things and follow after things. And so flee and follow. The instruction given to the man of God is to both flee and follow. And what we see here, these are two mutually inclusive things. When you follow Christ, you will flee from certain things. And in your fleeing, you also, in effect, follow after the way of Christ. So, so this is really the catalyst of, of godliness as a leader, as a believer. This was a choice that was really wrongly made by the other elders of the church. Instead of fleeing the wrong teaching that was coming into the church, they decided to follow after them. And at the end of the day, men, it's our choice to flee, and it's our choice to follow. And so he says, flee and follow. This was their choice. Whom you follow and whom you flee from is really at the crux of a right testimony. And so, what do you flee? He says, flee these things. So in this short admonition, really all of the aforementioned things, testimony at work, a testimony of godliness, a testimony of contentment, uh, the, the having the, the wrong mindset and, and making sure you have the right teaching, the right character, all of those things that he had just mentioned previous to this verse was those things that he said to flee from. And so we won't take the time to rehash that. You might look at your previous notes. You might, again, read this particular chapter of Scripture. But what he was saying was flee from these things. Those things previous to this verse are the things that you need to flee from. And so this idea of fleeing was, was really, really very vivid. It, it had a meaning of running from something. But not, not sort of just turning and sort of just casually walking away. That's not fleeing. No, no, fleeing was aggressively, like, like your life depended on it, like you were escaping from something out of sheer desperation, you're running from it. And he's saying there, you man of God, you need to flee this way. You need to flee. You need to run like your life depended on it, escape from the grasp of this. But then in effect, what he was saying also was this, and follow Again, he says if you flee, you don't, you don't just flee from nothing. You flee from the, the, the wrong, but then you follow after the right. And, and there's so much in the Bible where there's the, the principle of, of, of taking but then replacing. Of removing and then replacing. And he's saying remove yourself from this. Flee after these, uh, after these things. But then he said follow. He says follow after. And you know, it's worth noting here as you read through the, this list, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. 
It's worth noting that you have more to gain in following after the right things than you do the wrong things. But again, the order is important. You need to flee and then follow. This word follow has the meaning of pursuing. It's the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, where he says, I press toward the mark. And, And you know that verse, he says, I press toward the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. And so, this high calling, this, this uh, upward plane, was he saying, as you flee from this, actually you're also running toward and following after what is righteousness, godliness, and so forth. So all of these things then we run towards. And so the idea is that you are to effectively follow all these things. To, to ina- for you to be able to do that, you must do so with great inten- intentionality and determination. You've got to do it on purpose. See, you don't stumble. You don't stumble onto righteousness. You don't stumble onto godliness. You don't sleep your way through and wake up at this end point. He's saying you've got to do it intentionally. You've got to follow after these things. And so the question for us tonight is, are you quick to flee from wrong? And then passionately follow and pursue the right things. When God shows you what is the way of righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness, do you pursue it? Or do you casually take a stroll to it? Because that'll never suffice. And so as a man of God, as a leader, you not only have the form and function of the title, but you also need to flee and follow. But then notice... The next thing he says in verse 12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And so the next thing is, not only should we flee and follow, we need to fight and fasten. Fight and fasten. He says, fight the good fight of faith. But then also lay hold That means to grasp, to fasten, lay hold on eternal life. So the leader who is to be a man of God is one that also fights and then fastens themselves on eternal things. And what are we to fight? He said, fight the good fight of faith. You know, in a world today, there's lots of fights that we can get into. Correct? We can get into a lot of fights. But actually, God's pretty pretty specific. He says, fight the good fight of faith. And and so, you know, men, I think there's something in us that we like to engage in battle. There's an aggression, I think, within us as men that God has given. We are to be strong. But there's something in us that we just get into fights. You know, from a little age, you, you know that. I remember a couple of years ago, and, um, and for a little while, Malachi was the only one, really, in the nursery. That, that was, he was the only boy in the nursery. And so uh, he was in there, and, and I believe it was, a, it, was a, it was a Mangara boy suddenly came about, and they were then now in the nursery. And so all that time, Malachi had the monopoly over all of the boy toys in the nursery. But then suddenly, other boys came in, And now he had to share the toys. Now you can guess the ending of that. The ending was a fight. All right? 
And so they got into a fight, but now they're best friends, or now they're great friends. So, so that, it all ends well. But, but there's just something in boys when they think there's worth, worth fighting for something, that they fight. And what he's saying to the man of God, don't just get into any fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight. There ought to be some fight in us, and there's no doubt that life is a battle. However, we must remember that what we are fighting, we're fighting the good fight of faith. We don't fight each other. We, we fight the spiritual forces of darkness. We don't fight for our own causes and agendas. We fight for the cause of Christ. And what Paul was saying was fight the good fight of faith. And Paul, later on in his second letter to Timothy, remember what he says as he, his life is about to come to an end? And he says, I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. And, and so he, he fights that good fight. But then notice he says not only fight the good fight, he said lay hold on eternal life. And notice there he says lay hold on something. We are to fasten to this. This was the idea that, of, of seizing what is important, of grabbing hold, fastening yourself to those things that really will help you in the fight. This was the equipping of the, of the, of the man of God to fight. In order to fight well, you need to fasten yourselves to the right resources. And so he's saying here, lay hold on these things. This was, a, again, the idea of holding on, of grasping, of fastening yourself to those things that will help you fight. And notice he says, lay hold on eternal life. And what we note, firstly, we need to fasten ourselves to our real condition. You know, sometimes when you go through the battle, you can feel like you're losing, but in the end, remember, you're winning. Your real condition is this, you have eternal life. The reason you're in the fight in the first place is because you have eternal life. So, so your, real, your real condition isn't one really that's fighting in defeat. You have eternal life. You're already a victor in Christ. You have the resources of heaven. You are a son of God. So don't forget that this week. When the going gets tough, remember, fasten your mind. Lay hold on eternal life. And so the real condition, but then he says this, that really you need to hold on to your resulting calling. Because, because of the fact that you have eternal life, you're all of those. Notice what he says, whereunto thou art also called. Don't forget that, that with, the, with the position, with eternal life, comes a calling. Hey, listen, you weren't saved just so you can just merrily stroll along life doing your own thing. When you get saved, you also get a calling from God. You've got a calling to live for Him. You've got a calling to be a soldier. You've got a calling to be a son of God. And all of those things, really, it's a result of the previous. Thou art also called. And so as you're one seated in the heavenlies, really you have a corresponding call. You have a calling, a course, a purpose to now fulfill and finish. And remember again what, what Paul says I've finished my course. He had a course. He had a calling to fulfill and finish. But then notice what he says there. Where unto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession. But notice what he says before many witnesses. 
And here's, here's what we see. We are to fasten not only to the real condition of our eternal life, to then the resulting calling, but then thirdly, we see that you need to fasten yourself to reliant companions. And here's, here's what it is. He, he professed all of these among some witnesses. There were people watching him. Listen, as you go about, you man of God, remember this. As you fight the fight, as you pursue your calling, there are those who are following after you. There are those who are watching you. And, and we ought to fasten ourselves to that idea that there are many witnesses. We already know that there's that great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. But now he's saying there are many witnesses who are currently here, who, who are around us. There are those watching you and are seeing you as an example. And so just in case Timothy forgot that he had a high and holy calling as a man of God, as an individual, Paul was reminding him that he has done it before the witness of others. That, that you're fighting really in the presence of those who are watching you fight that battle. So he says, fasten yourself to that. Lay hold on that. And, and so we are to fight and fasten. But then notice verse 13 and 14. He says, I give thee charge in the sight of God. Then he says in verse 14 that thou keep his commandment. And here's the next thing. We are to focus and fulfill. See, really, when he says, I give thee charge, it was to refocus Timothy again at, at really the, 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 the priority and the, the importance of this. Paul was emphasizing to Timothy that he was to get focused or remain focused on fulfilling his task. You know, often in the struggle of it all, the only way to keep at it is to be reminded to get back to why and what you are trying to accomplish in the first place. We are to get focused. You know, it's hard to not be distracted today. It's hard not to chase rabbits down a trail. It's hard to keep focus on what it is that the primary thing that we are to be. And he's saying here, get focused, I charge thee. And notice what he does. He says, I charge thee in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. And really he's saying, consider to whom our charge is given, consider to whom your charge is, to, to whom it is that you're given the charge before. He says you're charged in the sight of God. We are, we are, we are being witnessed by the one who is the life giver. You know, when we have witnesses over important things and when you have a, a wedding, you do it before witnesses. Why? Because they have an importance in your life. They come and they are that you hold yourself to account to them. And you know, when, we, when this charge was given to Timothy, it says, I give thee charge, not, in, not now in the sight of the witnesses, it says, in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. He, he's the one that gives life. So before the life giver, in fact, the one that gave you your life, Timothy, you know, the one that allowed you to have birth and to have health and to have all of that? Before Him do I give you this charge. But then he goes, and before Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. 
And what he was saying was this, then consider also the one who suffered. So consider the one who gave you life. Consider the, the, the one that gave you the calling in the first place. But then he says, get focused because you're doing this. I'm charging you before Christ Jesus. He's saying, consider to whom your charge was birthed. He was, it was given through Christ. Given through Jesus. And, and he uses Jesus here before Pontius Pilate because really that was at the place where Jesus had to make that choice. And even when Christ was at his most vulnerable, he kept his charge. You know, we see in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are to consider Christ. Consider him who went through those great agonies. And, and here, Jesus was the one witnessing to the charge before Christ Jesus, the one who went through and endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. See, Jesus kept his testimony in his hour of trial. And you know, lest we te are tempted to faint in our minds, the Bible says, we need to consider Christ. You know, we, we live in a world, really, it's not, it's not really that easy to stand out for Christ. In fact, you know, generally speaking, you, when you're zealous for Christ, you're sort of looked at as a bit of a weirdo. You're sort of looked at as like, well, it's a bit, you know, you're a bit over the top. You're a bit extreme. And I understand there's a great balance to all of life, but, you know, sometimes we, we sacrifice that, forgetting that we have one who endured, endured such great things against himself. You know why? For the joy you and I, that was set before Him. And so we are to get focused. Pay attention to who your charge was before, made before, in the sight of God and in the sight of Jesus Christ. But then notice verse 14, He says that thou keep His commandments without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a call to fulfill. And here He gives us a couple of things. He gives us the motivation. He says in verse 14, you keep His commandment. You do it without spot, unrebukable. Why? Because of the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is coming again. Hey church, Jesus is coming again. And by the way, we're not people that look for signs. We're just looking for a Savior. We're just looking for one who will just, uh, with a great trumpet, call us up again. But, but He's saying, occupy He's saying, do it. Do it because I'm coming. That's our motivation. The motivation we have to fulfill our call is because of His appearing. It's to do right as leaders. Why? Because one day our Jesus will appear again. But then in verse 15, He says, which in His time He shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We see then, we have a call to fulfill we see the motivation of that, but we see the marvel of that. And what he highlights here is that he's given, he, he has authority. Notice the words that he uses. He says, which in his times he shall show. So he's going to show about himself who is the blessed and only potentate. What that is, it's sovereign. It, that's ultimate power. The, the powerful one. The king of kings, the lord of lords. So he's saying, you know, fulfill your call 
Because one day you'll be justified by the authority. You know, we, we may not be justified in the sense of, of our actions and our doings by these world, this world's standards, but by the world's economy of things. But one day, the authority, the marvel of it all, will come and He will justify us. He will show us our sure reward. And the marvel of our call is that we have it with authority from God. He's the ultimate sovereign. And then verse 16, really quickly, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And we see we have a call to fulfill. Why? Not only because of our motivation, because of the great marvel of our authority, but then also, lastly, the mystery. And really, it comes down to this. It's for His applause. You, you see, the, the mystery of our calling is that we do it for the applause of not those who are visible. It's before one who only hath immortality. That means this. There's, he has no mort- mortality. He only is immortal. Only He is the one that has overcome death. Only He is the one that has overcome this world and he is the only immortal. He is the only one dwelling in light which no man can approach. It speaks of His holiness, whom no man hath seen nor can see. It, he is invisible, and yet it's before Him that we do this. It's for His applause. To whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. You see, sometimes our, our reasons are unknown to others and unseen to others. And maybe your reasons are corrupt. It's for your own applause. But actually, the reason why we ought to fulfill and finish our call is because He is worthy for our applause. It's His applause that we want. It's, it's, it's His glory. And it's His honor. And it's His, His praise that we, we really just do all that we do. And so as he finishes this, era, this section here to the man of God, he finishes with really a, a, a push to fulfill our call. Saying you have a motivation, that's his appearing. You, you, you have this marvel of his authority and you have the great mystery, you know, the God who is invisible. He only he is the one that is immortal. And it's for his applause. It's for his glory of which we go through and we finish our course. And so, you know, you men, I want to say especially, you have only this life to live. And sometimes we lose track, sometimes we get weary in the battle. But at the end of the day, Jesus is coming again. And at the end of the day, it's Him whom we want to please. He's our motivation. He's, he's our great joy. He, he's the one of which we ought to live this life for. And He's the one that really bestows that title. And, and I love, you know, the, the parable about those that would please God. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And, and the, these commendations, they only come from a life that's lived well for Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for this, uh, this your, your word. And Lord, I'm so amazed at, at how many times you just 
Lord, come to a place where you're, you're looking and you're seeking, and yet your Word of God is right there to give us all the, the motivation and reason that we need to just keep on going. And Lord, it's not about us. It's not about our own commendation. Really, it's all about you. And I'm thankful, dear God, that as we go through life, as we flee, we follow, we fight, we, we fasten ourselves to the right things, that, that, Lord, really, at the end of it, you just want us to fulfill that calling so that you can get the praise and you can get all the glory. And thank you, Lord, that in all of that, you're the one that gives the designations and the commendations. And so I pray that you'd help us as men, especially, to, to fit the form and the function of that title Help us, Lord, to be driven by that and to understand, dear God, that, Lord, in, in, in that, then those around us are, are great beneficiaries of that. And so we love you, Lord. Thank you for the, the evening. I pray that you bless the rest of our night. In Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name, amen. All right, Brother Alden. If